You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Jets podcast for Thursday, April 16th, 2020. Hope you're staying safe today. This is your host, John B. from gangreennation.com. If you enjoy our show, subscribe to it on your favorite podcast source and leave a good review. Today we will do our weekly mailbag show. Thanks to everybody who sent in questions. Let's get started. Our first question is, what would you do with Avery Williamson? Would you cut him for the cap space, trade him for a fair price, keep him on a restructured deal? What do you think actually will happen? Well, it's tough to say what actually will happen because, uh, you know, I'm not Joe Douglas, so I don't, I don't know. I think there have been a few rumblings that the Jets may be looking to move on. What would I do? See, this, this is tough because he's a popular player and he's a good player. So when you have a guy who's a good player, it may see, seem counterintuitive to say, let him go. But I probably would be inclined to uh, cut him. See, I, I think that in an ideal world, you could trade him. But I think there are lots of things that are working against the potential trade because he's A, pretty expensive, B, he does not play a premium position. Linebacker is not really a premium position in today's NFL. C, his skill set is not really a highly valued commodity run stopping. And D, he's coming off a serious injury. So when you combine these four factors, it's going to be tough to trade him. Now, my answer would be different if we were back in the days in the NFL where you either used cap space or you lost it. But since 2011, that has not been the case. Ever since 2011, if you did not use cap space in a given year, you can roll it over to the next season. And that's probably why I would let Williamson go, because the cap savings, I think, is around $6 million or so. And I look at what Williamson brings to the table and what he, he does his job effectively. But where would the Jets be without him? Well, we kind of saw that last year. And... Williamson is really a run stopper and a run stopper only. He's he's not that good in coverage. And without him last year, Jets had an excellent run defense. And you could make the argument, well, okay, well, what happens? Don't you want depth in case somebody gets hurt? Well, last year, the Jets played virtually the entire season without C.J. Mosley. And their run defense was still excellent. In fact, there were weeks where the Jets were starting practice squad level linebackers. And the run defense was excellent. So I just think the way the team is built right now, Avery Williamson's kind of a luxury. He's nice to have, but I'm not sure you're really losing a whole lot without him. And he, look, he can go, he'll go somewhere if the Jets let him go. He'll find a starting job and he'll play well. I just don't think for the value the Jets are getting, I mean, even if you bring him back at a reduced salary, I'm just not sure how much excess value he's bringing, bringing to this team. Now, if I had a team that really could not stop the run, I'd, absolutely try and sign Avery Williamson. I try and sign him to a deal. But I just think for where the Jets are right now, the way they are they are built, paying Avery Williamson what they're paying him or anything close to what they're paying him, I just think it's a luxury. So I'd probably move on, even though it's it's nothing against the player. He's a good player. It's just the, the cost and what else I have on my team. Next question. With so many needs to... F- to fill towards a healthy roster, no matter how good a player is available at a certain spot, what positions are you definitely no-go for in the draft? So which positions would I not draft under any circumstances? I've laid it out on, on recent shows. I think there are really three. There's interior defensive line, linebacker, 
and safety. And for the latter two, part of it is that there's not these are not really the positions that tend to win or lose games in the NFL unless you have an outstanding player. But the Jets already have some really high-end players at these positions, and that's true even if you let Avery Williamson go at linebacker because you still have Mosley. Um, and these are, you know, like interior defensive line. The Jets are deep, and they have young talent. So I, I don't see any real need. I, I don't I don't know what another interior defensive lineman would bring to the table. You know, on offense, they need practically everything outside of quarterback. They need skill players. They need uh, receivers. They need a back to eventually take over for Le'Veon Bell. They still need offensive linemen, and pretty much you pretty much need everything on offense. On the defensive side of the ball, they could still use some help. Now, the the, the defense I think is ahead of the offense right now, but the defense still is lacking in some key areas like corner and edge. So those are the positions I'd be okay drafting, and those are also the positions that really move the needle in the NFL. Those are the positions that really win you games in the NFL on the defensive side of the ball. And even though the Jets did have a good defense a year ago, I've said this before, you know, part of the story is that they were not facing very good quarterbacks, and I think that the level of quarterback play they will face this year is going to be higher. So I don't think the Jets' defense can. I think I don't think the Jets' defense of 2019 is going to have as much success against their 2020 schedule, which means upgrading some spots. Now, you only have so many draft picks, you can't really afford to upgrade everything. But those are the, but those are spots where if you wanted to upgrade the defense, that's where I'd be looking. Now, I'll throw out a little caveat here, is once we get into like round five, round six, then you can draft any position. Because once you get into the late rounds of the draft, you don't really have the luxury of choosing which positions you want to fill. Well, first of all, a fifth-round pick is probably not going to be a day-one starter for you. It's it's possible, but it, it is very, very unlikely that somebody round five, round six, round seven is going to be able to play and play well right off the bat. Once you get to that, those late stages of the draft, there are not many guys. Frankly, there are not many guys who are going to have an NFL career of any magnitude. So it's less about picking and choosing where you want to address. You're just trying to find a good player anywhere. And if you can find a good player anywhere, well, even if it's not filling an immediate need, again, that player is not going to play day one. If you get somebody who, who you can project two to three years down the line is going to be a good player, you take them and you, you develop them. You know, I think back last year when the, the Jets took Blake Cashman in the fifth round, and I remember, I remember watching um, some of his footage from college, and I thought, well, the Jets can't take a line. I thought he was going to go second, third round or something like that. And I, I said, well, I'd love a linebacker. I, I, I'd love this guy, but the Jets just cannot take a linebacker as early as this guy's going to go. Well, he shows what I know. He fell down the draft board, and the Jets were able to get him in the fifth round. And I, you know, by the fifth round, well, you might as well because a guy who could become a good linebacker beats a guy at another position who's not going to become anything. Locked on Jets podcast here on a mailbag Thursday. Our next question, I know you've advocated for drafting multiple wide receivers in this year's class. Can you tell us a pair or even a trio of receivers who you think would complement each other well in terms of strengths and weaknesses? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I can give you a couple examples, and these are all hypotheticals, and part of this is just me guessing where these guys are going to go. There's really no consensus after you get past the top three of uh, C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy, and Henry Ruggs. I mean, there are some guys who I, I'll may, I say may go in the second round, and you know, like I'll hear some for some people. What are you talking about? That guy's guaranteed to be a first round pick. 
and the exact same player somebody else will say that's a huge reach in the second round but here are a couple examples that come to mind and again these are not necessarily my first choices just just some examples um let's say we get into the second round jets draft a tackle in the first round and lavisca chenault of colorado is available at the second with their second round pick and then in the third round Michael Pittman of USC is available. And then Tyler Johnson of Minnesota available maybe early day three. I think those would fit really well because you have a guy with a lot of speed, a guy with a you know, game-breaking ability in Chenault. You have Pittman, who's a more refined route runner, a guy with a big catch radius who can go up and win balls in the air. And then Johnson's a, a crafty route runner. So an example like that, you know, those, are, those are some guys who I think would fit really well together. Another example might be, say, you draft Henry Ruggs in the first round. You know, guy with game-breaking speed. Then you add T. Higgins, another guy who can go win balls in the air. You throw it up to him, a big, big target. Maybe get him in round two. And then maybe a crafty route runner like Van Jefferson, late day two, early day three. Another potential trio, maybe Jerry Judy's the pick in the first round. Really good route runner. Guy with a lot of elusiveness. And then... You add K.J. Hamler, day two, guy with potentially game-breaking speed. And then maybe Brian Edwards, late day two, early day three, guy you know, a little more physical. So I think this is a good draft. I mean, one of the great things about, this, about the receiver class in this year's draft is there's a little bit of everything. There are so many good players, so many guys who could be you know, good players to really good players. You can get a little bit of everything, and that's one of the it's one of the beauties of this class is you can really restock your receiving core for years to come if you draft well this year. Next question: If Tua Tagovailoa has a draft day fall to eleven, what do the Jets do? I don't think they're going to take him. I mean, I, I would be really surprised if they took him. I think most likely the Jets will see what they can get in terms of a trade down. Will some team be willing to give up a lot in order to move up to get Tua? You know, Tampa Bay is sitting there at 14, and we know that they have a quarterback for now, but Tom Brady is in his 40s. He's not going to be a long-term answer for Tampa Bay, so you know that's one you, you wonder maybe they'd be interested in moving up. Maybe now the Raiders pick 12th, but, you know, the Raiders are always a wild card. You never know what they're going to do. Are they happy with, with Derek Carr? I'm not sure. You know, would, would they get nervous and move up a spot? Um, you know, you get to a point. Would my, you know, would you be willing to do a deal with Miami in division? That may be less likely because if they passed on Tua at five, maybe they don't. Maybe they want to go in a different direction. You know, could the Colts be looking to move back into the first round? Maybe the Jets and the Colts, for the second time in three years, work out a big trade to give so one team gets the other a quarterback. Colts had uh, Colts, of course, have Philip Rivers, but like Tampa Bay, that's not a long-term solution. Colts are going to have to look in another direction. So, um, I think they try and move down. If there was no compelling package, I just think they'd go forward. I, I don't think they're going to draft too well. I think that they're happy with Darnold. And I mean, I personally like. I would. I, I, I think a little. I think of the quarterback position a little bit unconventionally because I think the backup quarterback's really valuable in this league. I think the backup quarterback can be the difference between a successful season and an unsuccessful season. But I don't think there's any teams that think the way I do about the quarterback position. So I don't think the Jets would draft Tua. Next question: Are any of these four top tackles not a scheme fit? It seems that we want to continue do to do zone blocking and not power blocking. So this is an interesting question because I actually wrote an article this week about it was about Le'Veon Bell and 
you know, the thing was, I, I always knew Le'Veon Bell was a guy who was better, who was more productive in like a man blocking system, but I never appreciated it to the extent to which this was true until I went back over the last two weeks and I watched all of his runs his last two years in Pittsburgh, 2016 and 2017. All of his runs that went for, not all of his runs, but all of his runs for one, that went for at least 10 yards. And only like 7% of his of his 10-yard runs came on zone plays. So this guy, not, not his own block, not his own runner. And so what I did after that was I went back and watched every single carry he had with the Jets in 2019. And I found that the Jets ran zone run plays for Bell 40% of the time. And again, this is a guy who 7% of his big runs the last couple of years with Pittsburgh were zone runs. Should you be running zone runs 40% of the time with this guy? I think not. But it, I think it's also important to note that if the Jets were running zone 40% of the time, it also means they were not running zone 60% of the time. So I think in today's NFL, for the most part, you know, there was a day in the NFL, like a lot of things, like like a lot of things you could talk about with this league, the league has become much more complex on offense. So, you know, there were, you, you go back, there was a, an offensive line coach, Alex Gibbs, who a lot of people credit with popularizing zone blocking and his teams would run zone run plays on almost all of their run plays. I think those days are over. I think every team has a combination of both and the jets it's more split down the middle. I don't think they're, they're necessarily a strict zone running team. Even then I think any of these four tackles could probably fit into, you could probably block zone. I don't think it's, you know, I, I don't think I would rule any of them out. So I don't, you know, I don't see, I, I, I don't have a problem taking any of these four guys based on the jets scheme. Um, we got a question about how I think teams will adjust their draft strategy because they could not bring uh, players into their facilities this spring due to the situation, uh, it, you know, due to the pandemic. It's a good question. I just don't know the answer. I don't know how teams are going to draft. I don't know how it will impact teams drafting when the, the over the fact they could not bring players in for in-person visits. It's a very good question. I uh, I just don't have an answer for that one. Um, next question. I believe in Darnold, but I want to know, would you draft a quarterback later on? I remember Ron Wolf's adage about drafting a quarterback every year, and I think this is a good year to take a shot, not because I like one quarterback in particular, but because Darnold is entering year three. So the Jets probably have to make a decision on him at the end of this year. Well, I, I agree with drafting quarterbacks, but you know, the, the reason Ron Wolf believed in drafting quarterbacks every year was because there was a game he talked about when he was Green Bay's general manager that uh, is like his top two quarterbacks got hurt and he realized you could never have enough quarterbacks in this league. So I think it's, I don't think anybody you, it's very unlikely that anybody they drafted in the late rounds would be a threat to Sam Darnold's uh, position as a long term quarterback for this franchise. But yeah, look, I believe in trying to address the quarterback position as frequently as possible. Um, if, I mean, after what we saw last year, you can't tell me that the backup quarterback position is insignificant. I think the Jets should absolutely do everything in their power to try and upgrade the quarterback position. Locked on Jets podcast here on a Mailbag Thursday. Next question. If your top offensive tackle is available at pick seven, would you be willing to trade 11 and 68 for him? Draft chart has that as equal value. Probably not. Unless there was a guy who I had graded as like a Hall of Fame as like a Jonathan Ogden type talent, but my view is that you're picking at 11. You need to be able to find a good player at 11. 
So I would say I would be very hesitant to do that because at the end of the day, you have to trust your own scouting ability. You have to trust that you can find. I mean, you're talking, we're talking about pick 11 here. If you can't find a good player at pick 11, I think something's really wrong with your team. So, you know, unless the, if this tackle was rated as like a, a first ballot Hall of Famer, like a once in a generation prospect, I'd say, sure. I like all four of these tackles. I don't think any of them are, I would rate that way. So I, I would say probably not. Next question, and it is, we know most of the possible early picks for the Jets, not counting players going to drop dramatically somehow. Could you name a few day three options you would like to see land with the Jets? Yeah, and again, like I'm kind of, um, I'm kind of prognosticating here. Some of these guys may go earlier. I mentioned a guy a little bit earlier, Tyler Johnson, receiver out of Minnesota. And, you know, when I watch prospects what, what i try and do is i try and watch a couple of games of their footage and then i go back and i read what other people think about them i try i try and go in fresh with my and form my own thoughts and then after i watch a couple games i want to see whether other people agree with me and sometimes like other people will see something will see something that i did not see and i'll be like and then i'll go back and watch the film further and i'll be like oh yeah good point good point i missed that with uh, tyler johnson i watched this guy and i thought well this guy must be like a second round pick you know, good route runner, good, good, good winning contested balls in the air, crafty. And I I went back and I saw this guy's projected as like a day three pick. And I, I got to be honest with you, I was a little puzzled by that because I think this guy, this guy's a really good prospect at the receiver position. So that's one guy. Uh, Lynn Bowden out of Kentucky. Interesting story. Guys played all over the place wide receiver then moved to quarterback his senior year a guy who maybe could be used in like a Taysom Hill kind of role a couple guys at the tight end position Adam Troutman out of Dayton although his stock is rising he was a guy who I would have more conviction going on day three a little while uh, a little while back it seems like his uh his stock is rising and then uh, out of Purdue, Bryson Hopkins, who I think is probably going to go day three, a fun player to watch uh, at the tight end position. So those are a couple guys who I might have in mind. And next question deals with draft day. Who is a player available? You pounded the table for the Jets to take, and they did not take. Did that player instead turn out to be a good player, a great player, a bad player, or a complete bust? How many times has this happened? So that's a good question. So, you know, in recent years... I have felt that way much less frequently because I think if you do this long enough, you realize that your draft predictions are frequently wrong, so you you tend to not have as much certainty. I guess probably the biggest example of this I can remember would be Matt Leinart back in 2006, and he ended up being a total bust, and the Jets ended up taking DeBrickishaw Ferguson, who was absolutely rock solid at left tackle for, for a decade, so yeah, that one was not a great one on my end. Um I remember back in 2008, I really wanted Carl Nix on the third. I guess it was day two because that, back in 2008, the draft was only there was no day three. Back in 2008, the draft was only two days. I really wanted Carl Nix out of Nebraska. He ended up being a really good, really good line, uh, guard for the Saints for a number of years. Um, you know, in recent years, I'm trying to think. Uh, recent, you know, first round, I tend to not go crazy over it because I tend to think like anybody has the potential to be good. Anybody has the potential to bust. I think back in 2012, I wanted uh, Melvin Ingram. Jets took Quinn and Copel. I can't say I was really upset about it, which I should have been because Mel- Melvin Ingram's a much better player. Um, kind of the same situation back in 2014 when I wanted Brandon Cooks. They took Calvin Pryor. I was okay with it. I should not have been. Brandon Cooks was a much better player than Calvin Pryor. 
um, you know, players. Let's think a couple other categories. Biggest whiffs. It's, there, there are two, two, two absolute terrible prog predictions from the second round in the last decade that I've gotten totally wrong were Vlad Dukas and uh, Jason Morrow, both of who I thought were going to be, both of whom I thought were going to be superstars, and both were just total zeros in the NFL. And those were horrendous whiffs. Uh, you know, we want to talk about picks that I hated at the time. Let's talk about the last 10 years. Cause that's the, since 2009, 2009 was the first draft I wrote about at Gangrene Nation. So if you started in 2009, I really disliked Mark Sanchez, the Mark Sanchez pick at the time. And I was kind of proven to be right. Although like everybody after those first two years, I was totally sold on him. I was totally sold that I was wrong. So I guess I can't give myself too much credit on that one. So that was a pick that I hated. In 2011, I would say Bilal Powell. I really disliked that pick. That was one I was wrong about because he's you know, he's not been a, he hasn't been a star player. He's never even really been a starter for the Jets. But guys just had a really solid Jets career. A guy should have nothing but appreciation for the Jets from Jets fans. Really played his heart out for this franchise, given his franchise everything, and produced every time he's been called upon. So uh, that was one I was wrong about. In 2013, I disliked both first-round picks, but it wasn't really because of the players themselves. You know, I disliked D. Milner. Not because I should have. I, I should have just disliked D. Milner because he was a total bust because he was stunk. But I disliked Milner on principle because the Jets had just traded Darrell Revis, and I always hate the move when like you trade the established star, and then you draft somebody his replacement who maybe will be as good as him. You're, you kind of hope it's like the episode of family. You've ever seen also like the early episode of family guy when Peter Griffin's offered a boat or a mystery box and he takes the box because the box could be a boat. That's kind of the way I think about like trading Revis and then drafting D Milner. I hate moves like that. And then in 13, I, I hate they, at 13 that year. They drafted Sheldon Richardson, which I disliked again, not because of the player, but because Jets already drafted Muhammad Wilkerson and Quinton Copels the pre previous two years, and I did not see how Richardson would fit. And of course, Copels was a total zero as well, so it really didn't matter. But I, it wasn't really the players that I disliked with those picks. It was more the uh, the the concept of the picks. So I can't. I guess those guys don't really count. Uh, 2014, I hated Dexter McDougal in the third round. That one I was right about. I mean, uh, that was I hated it at the time, and then they made the picks, so I'd like put myself on YouTube to try and find something good. And then I'm watching these YouTube clips and it's just getting worse and worse. And the guy looks like a dime back. And I'm like, you can't be serious. And people are like trying to tell me, well, Richard Sherman went, when late. I doubt anybody thought Richard Sherman was going to be a great coin. I'm like, this guy's not Richard Sherman. So that one I was right about 16. I hated Hackenberg. I mean, that one was obvious. Um, and then I guess last year, Westco, I, I, the re I'll tell you why I dislike the Westco pick is that, I view these players, I try and view these players through a couple different lenses. I try and figure out, okay, what's like the boom scenario where absolutely everything goes right for this guy? Who's he going to be? Who's it going to be if like he's, if he, he's mostly what we're expecting him to be, but falls a little short? What's he going to be like if he's kind of a disappointment? And it, what's he going to be like if he's a total bust? And my issue with Wesco is like, he has to be like the total, he has to like totally hit his ceiling to be useful to the Jets. And even then, it's not, it's not even that, even if he hits his ceiling, it's like a second tight end who blocks and maybe slips out into the flat to catch a check down pass. So that's, so I dislike, so that's one reason I dislike that pick. And like on the other end of that is like Leonard Williams, who 
really was a disappointment. But you can still say it was a decent pick because even though Leonard Williams was a disappointment, he still was he's still a credible starting line lineman in this league. So I think that that's one of the things like I try and view picks th- through the lens of what happens if they hit their ceiling, what happens if they fall short of their ceiling but are still kind of there, and what happens if they're just kind of average. But anyway, so I guess that's a long roundabout answer to your question and the number of questions you, you did not even ask. So a little few bonus questions for you today. Anyway, thank you for listening. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, if you enjoy our show, subscribe to it, leave it a good review. Have a good Thursday, everybody. We'll chat again tomorrow to talk more draft.